0: Welcome, this is the Change Creator Podcast. Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to the Change Creator Podcast show. This is your host, Adam Force. And if you missed last shows, uh, if you missed last week's show, that was an incredible conversation with Laura gassner Oding. and she is just this this really powerful woman tons of confidence and she does not hold back in that conversation we talk about what it takes to get unstuck and transform your life for success and that's what she's all about and she has an incredible new book um so, if you're looking for a little bit of that inspirational booster, that is a great conversation to listen to. So, if you want to swing back and check that one out, if you missed it, um, this week we are talking to the founder of a company called um, Mata Traders. Okay. And she and her name is Maureen Dunn. And I'm going to try this last name, but I think it's uh, Fetcher. Okay. And so. They're doing really cool ethical fashion they are fair trade they they're all about the social impact and every and and the, their designs are just beautiful handmade materials so um, we're going to talk about how she started this company and the things that she's learned and just get into the e-commerce and fashion world a little bit uh, with her and so she's gonna share all those incredible insights. So just hang tight for a minute. And we'll dive into that conversation. Um, I, I love having these fashion, ethical fashion conversations because not only is the e-commerce world uh, big, um, you know, but I, just the fashion uh, industry is so substantial when it comes to you know waste and you know just kind of abuse of employee uh, employees and stuff like that. Meaning you know not paying them well and outsourcing and all that stuff. It's really nice to see companies like Mata Traders coming out here and doing right and showing us how fashion can be done the, uh, in a way that is sustainable and takes care of people um, and doesn't just destroy <laughs> the planet, right? Um, so anyway, these are really fun conversations. And n- the next magazine, guys, is coming out. So issue number 26. I can't believe we're at issue number 26. Um, and it's going to be... With Timothy Sykes. This guy is a multi millionaire penny trader. And you might be thinking, why the hell is he on Change Creator Magazine? This is not social impact. But here's the thing he was on Larry King Live. He's a multi millionaire p- penny trader, which is kind of a rare thing. I'm like, who, who the hell is doing those penny stocks, right? <laughs> um, but he has had great success with it. And now, because he has that skill set, he's using that skill set. To fund social change, they're doing. They're building schools. He wants to build a thousand schools. He's already built like forty-five schools around the world, and he has uh, done a huge uh, movement and started a brand to support animal rights. So, guys, when you have that financial backing, there's a lot of power uh, that you have to do good things. So, everyone has their own skill sets, and his skill set is doing these penny trades. But because he's able to do that, he's able to create this incredible social change and we're going to find out how he does that so this is going to be a great cover story and edition and that's going to be out on april 15th um all right so guys Last but not least, um, we do have this awesome masterclass, which me, Danielle, and Solen and Amy all um, participated in in putting together. So you'll hear from the four of us, and we just talk about you know attracting a loyal audience. And it's such a big topic because sales, marketing are really stressful, and you know it's easy to miss the mark when there's a million variables that have to be so perfect. Um, And we all get hungry and desperate to get attention for our brand. So we start doing things that gets the wrong people. get the wrong people, you don't get sustainable sales. You might get a win here and there, but it's not going to last. So we want to talk about what it takes to actually get the right people and make a sustainable advantage. So that's what that masterclass is all about. Check it out. It's on the website. You'll see it in the top right of the navigation all right, guys, we're going to jump into this conversation with Maureen and see what we can learn from her. Oh, cool. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Maureen, welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks. You're welcome. So um, you have been doing a lot of interesting travel, and I can't wait to hear about it. Before we dive into that, tell us what you're working on today. What I'm working on today? currently, yes. Okay.
1: Um, well, today I am working on some uh, private label jewelry pricing, particularly. Yeah. And I also have uh, like a, a kind of a quarterly owners meeting. So I have three business partners and we're going to meet and look at the financials and look at, look at some of our um, kind of strategic goals for the year. So that's what I'm doing in the afternoon. Awesome. Um, and then I'm also going to be reviewing a few... Um, graphic design images for website. I do a bunch of everything, Adam.
0: Awesome. So you got your hands <laughs> in all the pots and you guys are, I yeah. like that. It's, it's interesting to hear that you guys are moving towards some um, private label stuff. That's kind of cool. Um, so yeah. So we'll tap into that in a minute. And I, yeah. before we get in, I just like to kind of tee up where you are today. And then uh, I'd like to just hear in a nutshell for people, if you can just give some background um, that talks a little bit about why you started the company.
1: Sure. So uh Mata Traders is our company. We're a Chicago-based ethical fashion company. Um, and the impetus for it came from around the world trip that I took when I was 27. Mm,
0: right.
1: So I saved up money uh, with my two best friends. And everybody thought we were kind of crazy um, to leave for 10 months <laughs> and not really have a plan. But um, we had a plan. but. Uh, so so we saved our money up and we went on this big trip and I spent four of those months in India, partly because it was like a Mecca that I had been wanting to visit for years. Like I had been to Southeast Asia and Europe and Australia and India was really like next on the list. Mm. Um, and also because it's it's expensive to take air travel when you're doing your big round the world package and we could see so much and travel by land through India and travel so cheaply. So spent a lot of time there and i think that's that's where the idea came because i just totally fell in love with the fabrics and all of like these beautiful colorful um processes for textiles and handcraft and um you know i'd be doing yoga in the morning and thinking about what i was going to buy in the market in the <laughs> afternoon so so it started real small and organic like i just started shipping things back and you know sending the the first time I I bought a few things and and tested out selling it and then I actually um it was like six to eight months later like made a trip and planned it and went back to start my business and start buying things
0: yeah awesome. so
1: that's that's how it started
0: very cool and mm-hmm. so you never know you do these trips and you travel it's it's amazing I gotta say. You know, I haven't said this in a while, but I used to say it all the time because I was enamored by it. And, you know, we've done probably 130 interviews now. And I think 80 percent of people find their inspiration from travel experience. And Um, you did, too, right? I I did. (laughs) (laughs) I did. So, you know, you never know what kind of inspiration you might come across. um, But it's, you know, like it really hits you on the head after a while where I'm like, okay, so, you know, anybody out there that's looking for that inspiration in their life you know they they're feeling a little discontent it's like go out and travel like that's that that there's answers out there when you travel whether you know what you're looking for or not
1: (laughs) yeah I mean I think it's it's I think about it all the time because when I was in my 20s I basically like worked to travel like I would save money up so I could go on these extended trips and um for me it was like you find yourself when you're you're away from all the things that you know so well and yeah if you if I always tell people like if you can ever give yourself the gift of an extended piece of travel at whatever part of your life, um, do it because there's nothing like not having a plan to become really present and like just go with the flow and let the next thing connect to the next and i mean when you do that when you're traveling right you come home and you're like okay i'm just going to take this and i'm going to act i'm going to be like this at home and it slowly wears away but yeah. you do you do learn from that and you you try to to build your life around like connection and presence and things like that I think
0: I agree I mean there's lots of different lessons I guess we can get from travel whether it's the people we meet or just the way we feel because we I like what you said is you know being away from what you know so well um and that had a substantial impact for me so it wasn't about you know a culture that I came across um or anything like that it was more about being so far away from everything and and it just kind of like jolted my perspective and Mm -hmm. you know Then I hear stories like yours where you come across different uh, cultures and, you know, the people and the fabrics that they're creating, and it inspires you. And you're not the first person to hear that. You know, Jake Orak at Ethnotech, very similar out in Vietnam, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's like supporting communities, and now it's shaped your entire life, which I love.
1: And I wonder, too, like I just I love podcasts and I'm excited to be on one because it's my first one. (laughs) But um, um, I was listening to a podcast about the unconscious mind and how uh, this man was suggesting that you have, you know, 15 minutes per day of unstructured time to let your mind just float and be and it's like it it could be by taking a walk but it shouldn't be by taking a walk around a track it should be a windy road Mm -hmm. or if you like to doodle or you know and so I think traveling is almost like a larger version of that where you're just you're unstructured and you're in a new place Mm -hmm. and 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 so like new ideas can come and new inspirations and you can tap into the parts of yourself that that um you don't always tap into when you're like in the daily grind, right?
0: It's true. And I, you know, I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll shift gears in a second, but I I love this topic and I think it's important. So, you know, one of the things I noticed is when you do that kind of travel and you talk about, um, how your mind is unstructured, which I think is really cool. I'm a meditator. I like to meditate. Like me too. I will get literally physical. My stress will have create physical pain after a while. So I need to like take time to like let my mind relax and which keeps my body relaxed for like the day. It helps like, mm-hmm. significantly. so anyway, you know, when you're out, do you do it in the morning? I do it in the morning and then I do it mm-hmm. in the afternoon again. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to do it twice a day. If you're doing transcendental meditation, that's like the, the recommendation. And I, I try to follow the science, you know, where I can get the most benefit.
1: <laughs> is that, is that what you're doing? Yeah. Transcendental. Yeah, t- transcendental.
0: Cool. Yeah, exactly. So sitting quietly and that's, a, that's another conversation. <laughs> I know. All right. We're getting off, off the track. <laughs> no, it's all it's good. All, it's, it's actually
1: all- like really, especially for people that are business owners, Oh, like yeah. you have to find ways to manage your stress because and med- like for me, I I just started this past year doing it and yeah. it's really helpful.
0: Oh, it, so. it truly is. <laughs> and it, it can be very difficult to get started. But I always tell people it's kind of like you sit down at a piano the first time. You're not an expert, like it's hard and it takes practice. And the more you mm-hmm. do it, the more you start to look forward to it because it becomes this peaceful moment of time for you. Um, it's pretty incredible. So it does set you up for the day. Um, and I found a lot, a lot of health benefits from it. So to me, it's really important. And I think most successful people, there was a major survey done. I can't remember what it was. But the number one commonality they had between all these really successful people is that they did stuff uh, such as meditation to take care of them, their their self, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I was going to say about the travel is, you know, you're so caught up in what you know that when you get out there, it it literally took, for me at least, like two to three days to stop trying to behave and think in ways like I had to be active and doing stuff and running around all these things like I was still caught in my old like habits like from where I came from and I had to like adjust to the culture change out there so it took a few days to even just get into the flow and change the way I was feeling about things you know so Mm -hmm. when you said have an extended stay I think that's actually important we were out there for a few weeks
1: yeah, I mean, it took me a while, too. I was trying to really harken back last night when I was thinking about this to think about the the trip that we took. And I used to spend a lot more time traveling. I have a young son now, so I'm not the one yeah. that goes yeah. so much. But, um, yeah, it's that idea of these kind of unplanned unfoldings. I read that in a book this morning. And, mm. uh, you know, just it takes a while to wind like, wind out of your to-do mentality and just get into something. And I think we have to cultivate that in our work-life balance, too. Like, I I just, when I have a day when I have an unplanned unfolding, like, I go and I maybe take a walk and find a restaurant that we've never been to or just explore. It's, like, you know, for me, like, those are really important things to keep doing. And it's so easy to do them when you're traveling. But when you get home and you're in the the you know your your life is filled with all of your to-dos and especially cuz we have the phone now yeah. so you're always doing your to-dos everywhere for me
0: you know it's it yeah and, and and it's a huge there's a huge like i have to literally in the morning start my day by um looking at what my top 3 priorities are and then i have to mm. block time on the calendar to make sure that during those times, it could be a three-hour block. Could be a two, depending on what I got to do. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, like I'm like putting everything else—phone is aside, Skype is aside. Like, there's so many distractions. You really have to be committed to staying away from them. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: That's a really good practice. Yeah. Oh, it helps. Yeah. I
0: mean, I I go through and I really try to have that routine of uh, planning my week like that, and I really block the time. Like, I know every Wednesday, I'm like doing certain things for the first half of the day, from 6:30 mm-hmm. a.m. to 10:30. I'm doing like Uh, our podcast and marketing and working on stuff like that. You know, like, so I have very dedicated time slots. And anyway. you don't let the yeah disruptions no come disruptions. in. You, yep. can't, you can't catch me during those times. I won't I yep. won't respond. <laughs> That's good. I need to uh, take more tips from you. Yeah. Oh, listen, <laughs> I've been through many routines, right? And you guys I'm a morning person, so I'm up at four o'clock and I'm I'm I can get a lot done by I start work at six thirty usually after I, you know, meditate, have coffee, whatever. Six thirty uh-huh. to like nine thirty. I have a huge block of time, but then it's still just nine thirty. I have the whole damn day ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Um, so that's me. I but you know, listen, eight o'clock at night, I'm like falling asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm no yep. good to you after like four thirty, five o'clock. <laughs> All right, so let's get back on track with uh, what you have going on. So, I want to hear about some of the uh, starting points for you, because Mm -hmm. I think, you know, what, what we want to learn a little bit is, you know, have you had some one, how did you get started? Like were some of the steps Mm -hmm. you had to take? Because now you got to like go talk to people in the community, right? So you got to like figure out Mm -hmm. like, all right, how do you do that? How do you approach that? And then you got to be like, well, how do we actually start? you know, manifesting actual products. And then we have to have like, you know, some kind of uh, inventory and I got to figure out mm-hmm. distribution. Are you on mm-hmm. Shopify? So you know where I'm going. All these little oh, steps. Yeah. I, think, oh, yeah. I think people get overwhelmed. So I'd love to just go through the process that you went through. Mm-hmm. And the well, good you know, and the bad. So tell me about the screw-ups too. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's the,
1: the, those are all the learning curve exactly. things. Uh, and they happen. And the bigger you get, the bigger the mistakes get too. Yeah, I had <laughs> so, no doubt about it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, well, you know, so now we have a staff of 16. We're based in Chicago. I'm remote in Seattle for the past couple of years, which has been interesting, but um, still, nice. you know, working. And uh, we primarily wholesale. So we do about 85% wholesale and 15% retail. Okay. And we have a line of, Uh, fair trade clothing and accessories. So, um, so like my goal, I think our goal is like, for me, the, the mission is the icing on the cake. Like, um, you know, we partner with these really awesome artisan groups and women's cooperatives in India and Nepal, and we use a lot of traditional fabrics and they have all these great benefits and services and they're not factories and, but really like for me, it's always been that someone has to see the the dress and just want it yeah. and um, think it's special. And part of the reason why it they want it is because of the look. Like, it looks different. It fits the same as a really great cut that you'd see from, you know, a normal boutique made in a factory. Like, we do a lot of good fit and flares and okay. um, contemporary styles. But some of the fabrics and the colors and it's it just, like, it has, a. I think it has a little karma to it that you can you can see. So, so so that's kind of where we are now. Um, and we've grown organically. So we've been, this is like our, well, it's 11th year or 12th. It's been, it was uh, sort of until we got official. So it's probably 12 or 13 years that I've been doing it. Um, and, um, with my business partners who are my best buddies, um, like partners in crime too. Uh, but, uh, so, so when it first started though, I had a totally different agenda. Like I was like, I want to travel the world and make money through finding beautiful things from the country of origin. So I would spend three months in India. These were the days, right? (laughs) And I travel all around and just find really interesting things and just really interact with the, like for me, it was about being in India and and the, the country itself. And then I eventually went to Nepal. But one thing I noticed when I came back and I was selling my things at markets and I had a little studio and I had a storage space. I mean, it wasn't, I was doing, you know, everything. And I had some, some customers say, is this fair trade, you know? And this was, Um, this was in like 2006 or seven. And so I hadn't, I had heard of like fair trade coffee, but I didn't know what that, that word meant. hmm. So then I Googled it. And then as luck would have it in Chicago, that was a fair trade futures conference that um, summer. And now, um, the fair trade federation who put on that conference, we are a member, a long-term member of, and, um, that's like our, you know, that's our, that's our crowd. That's our, um, community of, of like-minded, uh, fair traders. So I went to that conference and I just learned all about what it was. And I was like, man, when I go back to India next time, um, I, I want to make sure that I'm buying directly from artisans because when you buy in the marketplace, you know, sometimes the things that are in the marketplace are even worse than buying it from a factory because there's there's no regulation at all you know it's craft the craft industry can be rife with child labor and just really you know artisan's not getting paid up front and so um so I mean I was buying some things directly and sort of in a fair trade capacity but then I just made a shift to like research cooperatives and I visited places and um I kind of streamlined my product line I used to you know do shoes and bags and you know tapestries and then really just focused on clothing and jewelry because that's what people will pay for too yeah, like they'll sure. they'll spend a lot of time thinking about buying a pillowcase for $40 but they will buy a dress for 75 or 85 pretty <laughs> yeah. quickly so with the same fabrics you know yeah yeah
0: it's sure um
1: yeah so that's kind of how it started and it was just slow and then and then I realized that there was really a dearth of um kind of like uh I would say more fashionable or like less less tunicky fair trade clothing so like the first when we decided to do wholesale I didn't have I felt like I just called shops that were fair trade and said hello and introduced myself and said I had these things we weren't we we didn't have a um, membership or any like accreditation yet, but we, you know we were working with these groups and people were eager for it. You know okay. the market was different then; there wasn't a lot as much out there, and so I got twenty five shops to carry the line the first season that we went wholesale.
0: And, what, and, and so it was an easy sell. You're saying it was basically just go in, tell them the story. Now, how important was it to have your story behind this?
1: It it was important, and it's interesting when it was smaller it was easy to easier to tell the story directly and and so now there's you you know Joni is um my business partner Mm -hmm. and uh, and Michelle is my other one but Joni does a lot of our sales at the trade shows, so it's great because she just lives the story you know Mm -hmm. and so right now we're really working on trying to have the right materials for all of our staff to to be able to tell the story because as you get larger it's it's harder to tell the story and not everybody's been there and um and and so that that's an interesting process too.
0: Yeah. Um, so I'm curious. Then you you've been doing this for quite some time, and obviously things have evolved quite a bit. Um, so I'm going to just <laughs> jump ahead a little bit, and I'd like to learn more about. Um, you know, are you guys? So how are you handling your your sales process? I guess can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the sale, the actual process? Meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll just let you run with that. I'm just curious about sure. the actual process of how you're obtaining customers now uh-huh. um, and then how you manage the flow of, like, the inventory and stuff. Is it drop shipping? Are you guys doing it differently? Well,
1: um, we we have all of our groups. We have four groups in India and one in Nepal, and so we consolidate their products and either airship or sea, ship them to our warehouse in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have like a warehouse slash office in Chicago where we run everything and, uh, and then we send out. So what, so to get our primary way that we attract customers is through industry trade shows. So those are these like wholesale shows, like there's a big one coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, which I will be at. Okay. Um, it's called Magic Las Vegas and we okay. are in the um, a section called pool, which has like some you know, sort of like indie small designers. So it's a really nice section and buyers from all over the world, but from mostly the United States will come from, from brick and mortar shops and online yeah. stores and they'll do their purchasing at these shows. Um, and so they do like right now, we're going to be showing our AW 19 collection. Okay. So we're t- trying to get pre-orders on, on this, this collection. It's a clothing collection. Um, and then we'll place our PO with our producers in about a month. So it's, it's, you know, it's far out because those goods won't actually have until um, like July. Okay. And so we're trying to get pre-orders on samples right now. And then once we get the pre-orders, we kind of base our projections and we place the order and then the hard work. Well, I mean, it, it's, it takes a long time to design a collection and then you have to make sure that um, it's getting produced and, um, it's on time. So, and how do you check
0: so, that stuff? I mean, like, uh, you know, you have people in these different countries. So, you have people on site that are doing quality control, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, we have really long-term uh, relationships with our producers, and that's that's actually part of the the fair trade commitment is right. lo- you know long-term sustainable partnerships. Okay. So, we we try to uh, you know just keep keep building capacity, keep building quality control regulations with our groups. We have really good communication with all of them. We have an onsite production manager here um, and, and as well as our designers here and they frequently visit India throughout the year, a couple times a year. Um, And then we also have an agent in India that does logistics and some quality control, but that, when you say like, what are your mistakes? Like we've definitely learned a lot the hard way (laughs) on um, quality control, I would say. And so that's one of the things I'm most proud of now is just the slow trajectory of really putting in, um, checks and balances. You know, we do, we do fabric tests. We, um, have many mid, you know, we have the mid pro and the sample and we check it all the way through. We make sure before it even comes here, it's checked. And then when we get here, we do a great process and we, our, our clothing fits are once we've got a good fit, we keep it in the collection and we, we also improve the fit. You know, if right, so so it's it's about like really just trying to improve and perfect the fits that we have, so that they really fit our range of women and and are flattering.
0: Okay, wow. I mean, and so I, how long did it take you to get all these processes, like these systems and processes, like built and? In we
1: we're still working on it. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah <laughs> and there's so many processes uh there's just so many processes that so you said that, that, that we do
0: <laughs> yeah I mean that's it, and I notice like i re- i always try to like I'm like how do we just get as focused as possible and really like you know keep our eye on like three core systems mm-hmm. that are driving the business but mm-hmm. there's always so many variables so I try to always stay, take a step back and look at like the big picture. You don't even know how many flow charts I've presented to my team. <laughs> mm-hmm. Literally. I'm like, "All right, this is how we should be looking at this." And I, yeah. I do it because you want to look at things that are like what's what part of the system is broken down that's not working so you can you like either get rid of it or fix it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so, yeah. yeah, that, that, and you said your, a lot of your distribution is coming through, I guess, hitting up some of these, like the conferences and trade shows, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and then we
1: also just do a lot of like calling and mailing catalogs and road trips. And we yeah. have a couple, we have a couple sales reps in, um, different parts of the, um, United States too.
0: Now, what about like, you know, the AdWords, the Facebook marketing, Are you guys like, uh, hell with that. Well, you or? know, it's really interesting because I think
1: the, the market is shifting so much right now. You know, um, I did a, talk at the FTF conference last year and I did some research about just this, the kind of the push economy, um, to a pull economy. So it's like, you know, people are finding the things they want to buy in so many different ways now. So they might, um, get it from a store or they might get it online. I mean, people really like to create their own lists of things that they want and they, they need to touch it in a lot of different places. And so the, so I, we've noticed a real shift in the marketplace, even with retail brick and mortar. Right. Um, I think to really survive as a retailer these days, you have to be highly curated because you can get anything anywhere, so you have to have really unique brands and you have to put things together and merchandise them in really interesting ways so that, that you're presenting something new to a person that wants to come in and like you're, you're buying a whole package of taste from them, you know? So I've seen that as a shift and, mm-hmm. and, um, and I think that you have, you know, so I think also with, with our industry, like we're seeing shifts, like the trade show market is going down a little bit. There's online trade shows now. I just met a shop the other day and she said, "I find all my brands on Instagram, right? I mean, huh. it's, so it's it's like w- the way that shops are finding brands is different and the way that the B2B consumer is finding brands is different. And so we we're, we're adjusting to that right now, I think. and we're kind of we're in the process of building a, 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 a I'd say a marketing strategy. <laughs> like I feel like we've <laughs> yeah. always just we do our thing. And we're just keeping up with it. We have our constant contacts and our catalogs and our social media, but we're trying to be more strategic and and figure out how to um, populate spaces where where people that are interested in us online can find us. And that should should actually help the whole, you know, everything that we do because everybody's looking everywhere, you know.
0: Yeah, you know, and 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 it it's tough too because you know you can easily spread yourself thin with marketing efforts. So to me, um, you know, we've really just yeah. this year decided like okay, like we're gonna hammer Facebook. Like I want to master <laughs> Facebook, and I want our team to really mm-hmm. just like really mat like basically conquer one channel instead of trying mm-hmm. to be like Pinterest, All LinkedIn, them. like yeah. everything. It's just like yeah. no, do one of them really well. Like you can keep a presence on the other ones, but like to dig into one of them and like, Mm -hmm. you know, let's know the algorithm. Let's know like, because like, if you can build the core audience, meaning the right people, you don't need Mm -hmm. the high, high volume. You just need, uh, uh, even if you had a hundred of the right people, it works wonders for how your content can go organically uh, viral. It really makes a big difference. It's,
1: I've, I read something about like crowd clusters in marketing, you know, and there's these little groups and it's, it's not about getting to the, you know, we did some traditional marketing with a publicist a couple times and it was expensive, you know, and they were, we've gotten some hits in a couple magazines and it didn't do do anything much. I mean, it, it's, it's like, and then the, the things that really work are just these, like, um, you know, we got an article about ethical fashion brands that got shared a bunch. And, um, we were on a, oh, Jeze, Jezebel. That was like, you know that?
0: Yeah.
1: It's yeah. it was huge. Like someone just organically mentioned us and that was the biggest driver of our traffic. So I think you're right. And, and that is the thing for me. Marketing is something is always the most stressful piece of the business because there's the, there's just too many things you can do all the time. And you're always stressing out about <laughs> like, Oh God, we should be doing this and yeah. they're doing that. And like, yeah, You know, and I'm always like looking and like, oh, it's like, ah, you know, so it's, I think it is good, like you said, to focus and then also to really use your, your metrics and analytics. Like we, we have always had a tendency to like do everything in that and then not check to see what's working, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So really like, well, what type of ROI, what type of traffic did you get from that? And then focus on that. So
0: no, it's it makes a huge difference, um, and it's interesting because you can do the PR, and, and there's a time and a place I think for PR. And I tried PR two years ago because I was like, okay, all I gotta do is I gotta get, I gotta make sure people know I exist, right? Mm-hmm. And you know that attention phase is. A very very early the very first step of getting a customer and you probably mm-hmm. have about at least seven more phases to go through before they buy something from you and it's, yeah and so you can get attention and you could spend a fortune but it doesn't it's not going to do anything for doesn't you doesn't translate yeah exactly you need mm-hmm. to have a system in place that will take them through like a process where they they earn you earn their trust and you know they they you know you just got to build it up and there's a bunch mm-hmm. of like steps to go through so anyway I've noticed that, and we've gotten into this marketing habit today, especially with our desire for everything immediately and, you know, the quick bait and everything that's happened with the internet, it's kind of like big attention and you want to jump from attention to sale and it just, you know, it's, it's creating all kinds of crappy marketing that's out there. Like one of Mm -hmm. the latest I've noticed is you can't watch half of the Facebook videos I watch now, right in the middle of the video, like at the climax of a video, they put an advertisement. Have you noticed Mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, the mid-roll ads. (laughs) It's the worst. So whoever's thinking, those are interruption ads. And if you look at the actual data from Nielsen and all the other guys, people hate them and they ignore them. They don't retain any information. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, it's terrible. Like display ads, the banners that go on top, like people know where they are. There was a study done and just in 2018, Nielsen Norman group was like, we talked to all these people. They know where the ads are. They ignore them. They followed hot spots of like where people see things on screen. And mm-hmm. they also found out that only 14% of people actually know or remember anything about the product, company, or brand. So if you're that's spending a million dollars on that advertising, only 14% yeah. of people are retaining. So the rest of it's money out the window.
1: And it all just seems like, I don't know. I mean, that and that's part of what. Is is neat about having a socially responsible brand is that you can connect with people in more authentic ways and and they want what you have and I mean I guess you know socially responsible brands are doing this digital marketing but I do think that I believe in that like grassroots stuff is still really valid you know
0: oh yeah oh it's huge and I think it's great for your brand too because you have this great story so. One is to master how you tell a story to really get people like emotionally involved, and then two is knowing how to um, reach the right people. Um, and when you can find that that harmony, um, you're locked and loaded. I just watched someone do a launch who's really good with this stuff. I mean, she's literally making uh, with her course because she's so good at building an organic community on Facebook. Mm-hmm. She's making a hundred thousand dollars a day during her launch on sales. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, spoke to her on the phone and I was like, Oh my God. I'm like, you are crushing it. And yeah, so that's her wow. thing. She's really good. And she doesn't, you know, she just knows how to use Facebook. She's not doing it on anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that was it. She just built her community. They it's just like her. sticking to the one. Yeah. 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 Those. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> so we're going to start to wrap up, but, um, what has been one of the biggest, I guess, failures in your process like what can someone learn like what would you tell them not to do <laughs> they're st- they're starting their own oh, e-commerce yeah. business right they have a product uh-huh. what is a lesson that like if you were going to do it over again yourself that you would say "Ooh, i know i wouldn't do that like that someone can really pick up from
1: <sighs> putting you on the spot a well, little bit take a no second, no i have you know. i have so many
0: answers <laughs> for this
1: i'm trying to think of which direction to go
0: okay okay
1: <laughs> um well, I think that, well, what, one thing I always say is like test things. You know, we, we started, I, I've always just been, I don't have a, um, I have a film degree and, you know, I was, I produce things in college. Like I'm definitely like, you know, I, I can raise money and produce things, but I didn't come from a very strategic kind of business frame of mind I wish I had gotten an MBA or so we really had to like learn those things and we brought really great consultants on at the right time to help us um even you know with with strategy and think about strategy but I think for for like the thing that helped me was just the organic growth and a lot like really like just testing things you know so um don't 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 go crazy on something until you've really tested it with a smaller audience and made sure that the price is right. I, Oh, another, uh, one thing that happens is you, you underprice things when you start, but that's okay. Cause then you kind of <laughs> build in your costs and realize what you really need to, to price it for. Um, but I, I think another thing that I would say is really important is to look at your market. Like you make sure, and this, I'm just thinking from my frame of reference in yeah. like this, you know, um, uh, fashion and accessory and home good area but bring something different that's not there and if you're bringing the same thing bring it to a different audience that hasn't seen it you know and so it's like really looking at um, what what's out there and what how how are you differentiating yourself and if you don't have that idea like like for me I've always just come from a perspective of I love to sell things and I, I love creating things. And, and so I think with some of the, in my area, sometimes people come to from the perspective of really wanting to build capacity for artisans and, um, wor- work with, uh, groups. And so you just need to make sure when you're building a, a product line that it's going to be something that can sell, and at the right price and there's, yeah. there's something differentiating about it, I think.
0: Yeah. And, and do you think it's important to establish that revenue channel right out of the gate to make sure you validate that you have one? <laughs> yeah. And
1: simple. Like, I, I mean, I was simple. I was just like on the pavement, like, you know, doing festivals, but I always, I, I got a, the, how I started my business. It's what they say you shouldn't do, but I got a cash advance on my credit card at 0% and got $3,000 and bought $3,000 a product, you know, made ten or $11,000 and paid back the loan. And so, you know, you just want to make sure right away that you're like, I mean, this is for, this is me doing like a small thing. I think if you have a business plan of investors and like, that's a totally different thing. But yeah. you just want to make sure that you're like, you're, you're, you're seeing whether it sells and whatever, even if you're starting small, it has to sell like right there, you know?
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, and, you know, I, it, there is a, It's interesting. I'm curious, and you know, I know we're trying to wrap up here, but let me just ask. Um, <laughs> when you you took out that loan, you, you piqued my curiosity on that. So, how did you then turn that into the eleven thousand? What did you do?
1: I sold it at markets. Right, but how, oh, you went to
0: marketplaces uh, yeah. and whatnot. It's not like you. No, put
1: I, up I, I I lived. No. Yeah. I just did direct, but gotcha. this was like 12, this was, you know, 12 years ago. Okay, so it's different. different. It's but still th- the same though. Yeah I, yeah. I lived on Martha's Vineyard for the summer and I sold at a market there all summer. All day long. All. I'm going to
0: say all day long, you will be able to validate. And, and if you go in person to conferences, trade shows, whatever, you will pick up and be able to validate your sales process. Cause it's different when you're face to face telling your story to someone and then offering Mm -hmm. a product versus just a cold online experience. That's going to take a whole funnel of like acclimation to get them, you know, warmed up to you. Uh, Yeah. So maybe doing it a little both or doing that first. I
1: also wanted to just say that um, another thing that's been challenging for me over the years is as you have, you know, you start a business for a reason and I think it's important to check in at certain points because to just make sure that, is it still personally fulfilling you? And is it still, are you finding meaning in it? And, um, how do you reconnect with your business? Like, that's where I'm going through right now. I think all of, you know, is, is, it started some, it started with something and it was very exciting to grow it. And, and, um, and we've had, you know, a couple, we've had, Tough years and good years and and then at some point, saying, okay, well, how it's a di- it's a different thing, and I have to relate to it differently, but how can I reconnect to the things that were so exciting to me before? because when you have a business and you you're managing people and you have so so many components of just running the business, yeah. you have to remember the the things that make you tick with it. And that's something that I feel like I've started to do more recently that's really been helpful.
0: I think that's huge. I mean, that's part of being a mission focused business is like staying on point, putting your energy not towards like I was just, you know, learning something about how there's two kinds of business, the one that are comp- competition focused and then the ones that are story focused. Uh, centric, meaning they are focused mm-hmm. on their mission, their story, and the impact that they're having. So they don't even pay attention much to the competition stuff. They're, they, they, one of the things that I spoke to Jake Orak about, he's like, listen, our story is our differentiator. It's unique. Mm-hmm. People, people mm-hmm. can find it. I mean, they're spending hundred and eighty bucks on a backpack. Well, that is, you know, triple the normal cost because they buy into the story. They're becoming part of his tribe, and they mm-hmm. love it. You know, so well, I think cool. yeah. you have the story. You are differentiated to me. So to me, really hammering that mission and focusing on the impact is going to continue to to make your story blossom, and it's going to differentiate you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that that's what we're really working on right now is is just weaving process and impact into all more of our messaging, you yeah, know.
0: Yeah. I love that. Awesome. At
1: at different stages, yep.
0: Cool. Well keep up the amazing work and Thanks. um you know the impact that you're having and supporting those communities. Guys, fair trade, ethical clothing, I mean I love it. This is like this is like queen purchasing so you can feel good about what you're supporting. Um, and that's what it's all about, right? So more of a holistic type of approach. Uh, Maureen, yeah. thank you for your time. Let's give a shout out. Yeah. I almost forgot. Shout out to your website. How do people find you? Where do they shop? Oh, you know, all that stuff.
1: It's matatraders.com. So M-A-T-A-T-R-A-D-E-R-S. That's us
0: all right guys find us us on instagram yeah and thank you
1: i'm so i i love talking to you and love to see what you're doing
0: too it's um so inspirational i've really enjoyed talking Awesome. I appreciate that. That's really nice. And uh, yeah, this is always fun and I'm glad you took the time and we got connected. So we will, uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution
1: by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game available now on iTunes and Google play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the change creator podcast.